when you read the scriptures, the stories of the men who are apprenticed, it's bloody, messy, two steps forward, three steps back, right? I mean, Paul suffers continually, and it's in the suffering he finds joy. And so I think it's very honoring to men to say, we're not chasing cliff notes. We're out of boys or the victory lap as the answer. Like you said, Aaron, we're choosing to stay in the questions, to not rush to the conclusion because we are growing in our capacity to rest in a God who's trustworthy, who's kind, who's not in a hurry, who is really filled with immense joy towards us. Friends, it's Morgan, and welcome back to another episode of the Become Good Soil podcast. We are diving deep in the depth and breadth of recovering masculine initiation. I love that C.S. Lewis said to us in Mere Christianity, the longest way around is the shortest way home. Friends, indeed, the path to rest in restoration is not quick, it's not easy, and it's not cheap, but it's worth every penny. And the reward is peace, well-being, laughter, and joy. Validation, strength restored, and a recovery of a way to be good again. And so in that spirit, I've invited some of my dear friends and allies who have consented to this path and process steadily and slowly over time. And their lives are with increasing measure becoming beacons of hope, light penetrating darkness, hope penetrating despair. And they're recovering side by side with me, a path that's ancient, that's been trodden by a few in every generation and is made available to everyone that wants it. Ryan, John Scott, Aaron, welcome. It's a joy to circle up with you guys uh, from afar. The reason why I tapped your shoulder is I wanted to just celebrate that you guys are all in. You're all in. And you've demonstrated that slowly and steadily over time by your actions. And I know you're all in because when I walk away from conversation with you, I am deeply challenged. I'm deeply strengthened. I'm enticed. I find myself curious and I, I want more of what you're recovering as a man. And I think what I want to say to you three um, in a welcome is you're committed to the slow and steady process of becoming students and excavating, doing the work, becoming a son. And you, you guys have burned the ships. I just love the image. You burn the ships, there's no going back. Like you're risking it all on God. I remember a mentor said to me, like way, way at the beginning of this, he said, we have to simply choose to live in a way where God, ha- God has to show up. And if he doesn't show up, we're host. That's it. There's no backup plan. 
There's no side hustle that we could kind of cling to when the ship goes down. We're all in on God. And, and so um, I, I literally was emotional last night as I sat and prayed and prepared for our time together, seeing each of your faces. I could feel this emotion welling up. And I think what I want to say is I trust you, I respect you, and I'm just moved by your courage and your uh, thousand small choices. So welcome to an apprenticeship roundtable conversation to share with our many like-hearted allies around the globe. Thanks for risking. Thanks for having us. Um, how do you feel just in this moment, dialing in from your foxhole somewhere in the world on an early morning, midweek, um, to just orient to sharing the life of the ordinary of apprenticeship in the kingdom? Like, where, how do you just locate your own heart in all of that in this moment? I'll go. Uh, my, my heart is bursting. Uh, John Scott and I were at the 2016 intensive together. So we're six and a half years on this journey. And um, just to hear you uh, name the journey, being all in, just reflecting back of all that God has done, it just fills my heart and it's been worth it. And it's been really hard. So, uh, at my bathroom sink, I've got, um, this plaque. I don't even know where I got it. Maybe it's Walmart. I think it's like discontinued now because <laughs> I tried to buy it for somebody and it, and it says, um, I'm not telling you it's going to be easy. I'm telling you it's going to be worth it. Ugh. And I think in the early days, I just kind of like, I don't know again where I got it. And I just threw it up. But as I look back, like it's actually been like really important to my, my journey. And, um, it, it was really hard to go all in, but I think like, that's, that's the difference. You know, you can't layer this message in this journey on top of the old way. And it takes time. It takes lots of time. So nothing but grace, kindness, patience for everyone out there, wherever you're at, you know, there's always an invitation for the more, but it's been really hard and death is not easy and dying to our old ways and our old places is not easy, but two degree shifts little by little, it's absolutely worth it. And like, there's no going back. There's no other way. So thank you for recovering uh, the ancient path. Yeah. So back in 16, when Ryan and I were in the first, you know, group together with Jim and Chuck, I had no idea what to expect. Just to fast forward briefly to where right here, you saying what you just said, I'm just honored because um, the, the dedication that you guys, you and Aaron put forward, you know, to doing the first BGSs, it works. Mm. It works, lives are being transformed and this isn't fake, this isn't fluff. This is the brutal, honest truth. I, I had no idea what it was going to take to get here. And honestly, I don't want to overplay that it took too much because there's so much more to learn. It was just one degree shifts. I think you said you or Ryan or somebody said one degree shifts. That's helpful. Mm -hmm. Very helpful. The decade at first doesn't sound helpful, but it's so helpful. 
because the way I learned growing up was harsh. And it was like change now. Holy change now. There's no room for um, any grace. In this message, the way that um, God has brought it to me through you guys has been graceful and peaceful. So good. Uh, this is Aaron. And yeah, I think there's, there's, I'm bouncing between a couple things. One is I'm just appreciating that when you, um, Ryan and John Scott talk about 2016, I just remember how you guys were like the total knuckleheads and you were, <laughs> you were put with, with the two facilitators because it was like un, untold, like, how's this going to go? We don't know. These guys are, these guys are, they're here and they, um, they have some big questions. So we need to put some strong, capable fellows with you guys. So I remember watching you guys in your small group because it was right outside of my, uh, where our cabin we were staying. So it's so fun to me, like what the promise of that for all of us is we're all knuckleheads mm-hmm. in our own particular way, have been, will be, and that's okay. And that this, this invitation uh, is not about getting it right. It's not about me becoming more like John Scott or more like Ryan or more like Morgan. It's about me stepping fully into the life that I have and learning to walk with God in a way that we sort it out together. And there will be highs and lows and bumps and setbacks and mistakes and victories. And I think just for me, what's on my mind this morning is just making sure that for myself, that I don't skip past all of the, all of those mishaps, setbacks, questions, Mm -hmm. and just go straight to the, it's awesome. It's worth it. You should do it because that hasn't always felt to be true because this long obedience in the same direction is based on a mystery of a promise. I hope to be true, but it hasn't always felt true in the moment. It is over the, you know, I'm, I don't know how many years in now, Snyder and I were 18 years ago having conversations over pizzas and beers around these topics. And one thing I'll just bring as a headline that each of you brought is Morgan, I love the video that you have on the BGS website and it opens. And I know you wrote this, but it's this question of what if there was a way to be good again? What if there was a way to be good again? And I think to me that the the questions are much more helpful to live into than just uh, for me, the victory laps, you know, of I did it. Look, it worked. I prayed. God answered my prayer. Look at this cool story. I have a profile. It's like, nah, yeah, that's interesting. But it's actually the transformation for me has happened in these questions of what if there was a way? Hmm. And, you know, Aaron, on top of that, for me, what what is helpful is, yeah, because, you know, you get in church the victory stories, right? But you don't get the journey to those victories. And what I had a prayer group this morning that I prayed with the guys. And what we try to talk about is the nitty gritty. What are those little things that you're doing that have helped you get to where you are and what worked, what didn't work? 
And tell me those little things, because in church, you get the Christian cliches and the verses that get thrown at you. And it's like, you acknowledge the Lord and he will enlighten your path. And it's like, okay, and now what? Those little things that you guys have taught us have been helpful. And then I've taken those and God has spoken my heart and given me little things that I use that I get to share with other guys too. And, and Aaron, you're right. It's those little things along the path because man, a lot of the time it doesn't feel very good. To say that, John Scott, it's so clarifying. In the church, you get these kind of sound bites and cliff notes of it works. Yeah. But when you read the scriptures, the stories of the men who are apprenticed, it's bloody, messy, yes. two steps forward, three steps back, right? I mean, Paul suffers continually, and it's in the suffering he finds joy. And so I think it's very honoring to men to say, we're not chasing cliff notes. We're out of boys or the victory lap as the answer. Like you said, Aaron, we're choosing to stay in the questions, to not rush to the conclusion because we are growing in our capacity to rest in a God who's trustworthy, who's kind, who's not in a hurry, who is really filled with immense joy towards us. And that's a really different posture to grow as a son that knows I'm well, like I am enough. I have enough right here. And, and right now, in spite of, as you're describing, John Scott, just some shitstorm that is just accusing me of I'm behind, I've derailed this thing, there's no way to recover. And when we're actually in the sweet spot for what the Father's inviting us into, just the next degree shift. Ryan shared some really bold, really insightful uh, windows into kind of the, I would name it like architecture of soul. Dallas Willard said, it's not that we have a soul, it's that we are a soul. It's a better way of saying reality. And you gave some visibility at the intensive into some of your initiation where God was showing you different parts of you that were at play below the waterline that had the effect of what, how people experienced you and where you were encountering God um, slowly and kindly over time in your path to integration and wholeheartedness. I'd love to play some of that here and invite our brothers around the globe to listen in to how you have been able, um, with the help of others, to unpack some of the interior landscape of your soul. I hope this is helpful, and I hope you see the greater story of redemption and what's possible, because as Morgan said, I'm just an ordinary guy who's the son of an extraordinary God. And I was in your seat six years ago, and I gave my yes wholeheartedly. And then it was just like, whisk off into this crazy adventure of what God can do. And so just some context, I would say you can't do this alone um, and you can't self-diagnose, but you can observe some things. Some of the observations will be like symptoms and feelings and others will be more kind of core 
beliefs and identities. Um, so I can't go through my whole story. So I'll just give some context of kind of the rise of the false self and then the exploration since. So son of loving parents, divorced when I was five. Uh, in high school, a lot of us find our thing, right? For me, it wasn't sports, it wasn't adventure, it was grades. And then it became about college, in which college, in which major. And then it was which company, in which industry. And I'll just say, whatever my sweep is, like I wanted to be the Michael Jordan of that sweep, and it can apply to all of our sweeps. So, you know, I was unfathered, uninitiated. My dad was there, but he was never there. And uh, so I took my question to my job. And it was all about performance, all about you tell me who I am, and I will literally kill myself to do whatever you ask for that validation mm -hmm. and affirmation. And so as I've uh, learned on my journey, like Michael Jordan, I wanted to be the best and have everyone know I'm the best. That gave me license for a couple of things. One is, if you're the best, you can be a jerk, and that's okay because you're the best. Michael Jordan was in, in your face mm -hmm. with how good he was. And then uh, it would also give financial freedom so I wouldn't need anything from anyone. They wouldn't be able to hurt me. And uh, I wouldn't need God, which I had no category for. Uh, so, um, you know, I threw myself at it. And from the outside perspective, it worked. Uh, fast track promotions, flying through the ranks. I was that go-to guy in the, in the sweep. Uh, and I actually kind of reached the pinnacle promotion in my mid-30s, you know, ahead of schedule as I planned. Mm -hmm. And it was empty and nothing changed. And then I attended Become Good Soil six years ago. Uh, beautiful experience with Jim and Chuck in my story group. And when I was done with my story, Chuck said, do you know you don't have to perform? And I had never even thought of it. Mm. I had no file for that. No one in love had ever even told me that was an option. And that was the thread that unraveled and started my journey. Mm. So be kind to yourselves, men, like whatever the experience is going to be for you, like it, it, it simply takes time. And so um, can you throw the first uh, chart up? So this is the above the waterline at the top is... Um, Show the world I'm the best. That was the vow. Um, underneath is actually below the waterline what that felt like. As I look back, and with, keep in mind, two intensive counseling sessions the last six years, mm -hmm. uh, a dozen or more encounters with Jesus, Holy Spirit, the Father, to bring healing. Uh, I didn't just, like, figure this mm -hmm. out on my own. Mm -hmm. Like, you give God your yes and he'll show up and you'll be on time. Mm -hmm. So what it felt like was uh, this driven man on the left was compelled to win. Uh, he can never quit. I love how uh, Aaron describes it as uh, a, a tire that is balancing itself mm -hmm. on its own energy. As long as it's moving. As long as it's moving and it can never stop. And so then in the middle, why could I never stop? I had... I was surrounded by fear and anxiety of it all collapsing. I knew it was all dependent on me and my energy. 
and I had to fake it time and time again. And if anyone found out, if anything happened, uh, then it was all going to fall like a house of cards. Mm -hmm. And that's a very heavy weight. So if anyone feels that, if anyone cares that, you know, love that place. I have empathy for you in that. Um, that is hard. And so where did that lead? Empty exhaustion on the far right. I mean, I had a panic attack in my 20s, a panic attack in my 30s, um, and was just completely wiped. And you dig in the well, you dig in the well, you burn through your reserves. Um, and then luckily I was able to pause mm -hmm. and, and learn more. So those are the feelings. I'm so I'm going to pause on that and yeah. ask. So you're saying you're kind of tertiary circles, right? The people at your sweep, yep. not, not your wife, not your kids, but the other people, they mostly get more Michael Jordan, yep. right? And all of his, like, he's kicking butt, taking names, crushing it. And they see little glimpses probably of these feelings below, but in your inner circles, you, you don't feel Michael Jordan, what you feel is compelled to win by fear, you know, never quit by fear of failure and collapse and you're exhausted. Yeah. That's what you're feeling on the inside. Yep. And no one, no one knew. It's that secret hidden yeah. life, right? Yeah. So then after a couple more years, uh, you know, after some counseling with some eyes to see, can you, um, thank you. So at the top, uh, I had to get honest about um, my, my coping uh, with the self-sufficiency, right? So to maintain that energy, um, I went to food for false comfort. Um, I had to numb the pain through alcohol um, and other things and, uh, and have that need to be perfect, that perfectionism that was a, a drive. Um, and so that's where I would go time and time again to maintain this fig leaf, the false image, and, and it stopped mm -hmm. working, mm -hmm. right? Uh, my wife could see it, um, and, and counseling certainly helped. And so this year, through another round of uh, intensive counseling, through our work in parts, um, I've actually gotten to the very bottom. And this is real time. This is all in the last nine months. So this is just where I'm at now, and I don't have it figured out. But there are actual parts and ages frozen in time within me that the pain, which was very loud. Uh, I mean, I remember um, when my wife and kids would go out of town, uh, the, the, the silence would be very loud mm. and the pain would come up and then it's okay. What are we going to go do buddies? Are we going to go drink? Mm. How are we going to silence it down? So these are parts and what they need is, is healing. So at the far Left, uh, I have a scared boy uh, who hides. And he's five years old um, from the time of the divorce. Uh, I've got, uh, I've learned there's actually two teenagers. Mm -hmm. One is lazy and uh, hates to pick up around the house and never cleans his closet. And my wife does not appreciate that. Um, he's that whiny part of me that... Um, Sometimes doesn't want to pray. Sometimes doesn't want to offer love to others. Um, and so having it be a specific place yeah. rather than this naggy, whiny thing I just hate is super helpful. Oh, yeah. Um, next is uh, a defiant teenager. There's actually a brother here who in love 
asked Jesus what was up when I scoffed out of a room and he heard uh, uh, angry defiance and that helped name uh, this other teenager who's looking to fight. And if you come at him with a knife or a comment, he comes at you with a bazooka. Mm -hmm. And he has led more meetings in my chimney sweep <laughs> than I think anyone would, would like. <laughs> and then finally, at the, at the far right, is that performance-driven man. He is a part of me. Mm -hmm. uh, he can only do one thing. He can only win at all costs. Mm -hmm. um, and he's still there. So... I've learned I can die to the false self by being aware and responding and making better choices, mm. but you cannot kill your false self. Yes. You may not like these parts at, at first. You may hate some of the things that they have done, mm -hmm. but they actually need the love of God yes. and the integration and the redemption. Um, and so he's still there and he's, um, thank you, loyal soldier. Right, he has provided mm -hmm. a lot of good in the world, a lot of good for my family, uh, but I bless him and I release him of mm. his service, and he's just not helpful uh, any longer. Yes. It's really instructive to me, as you describe kind of the interior landscape and some of the parts within you, to understand parts within me. Ryan, as you listen to that today, what is your reaction? What do you see in that? And, and where has it even taken you since then? Yeah, as I look back, um, it started out as such a foggy trail. And it felt like I was scanning for like that next breadcrumb on the trail. And I didn't know where the one was going to be after that or the one after that. Um, and that's where, you know, God has to come through and, and, and led me the whole way, the whole time. Um, you know, when I became aware of my pain, I knew that's where I needed to start. Mm. The pain was so loud. Um, every time I'd get still, like every time I would just sit in a chair or on the couch, forget about by a tree. That was not where, where I was at. <laughs> like, I would just sit down and, and the, um, the racing thoughts and the loudness of the pain. And so that, that was kind of the biggest um, area I spent time of just where is this pain coming from and why, and it's taken years and it's taken multiple passes of intensive counseling, both on my own and with my wife. Um, and through the, the prayer that you and the team offers, it's only been like the love and the healing and the encounters with God to take the pain away out of my heart. Like I couldn't fix myself. I couldn't heal myself. And so by processing my pain and excavating my story and excavating the memories and excavating time and time again, like, crap, why did I do that again? Right? Why did I get triggered? Why did I overreact? Why did I get so angry? 
I, I realized like how much I had only one propulsion system, one thing that all of my energy was poured into. And that was my identity and work. Hmm. When I started out on that work journey, I didn't realize that I never addressed the pain of my childhood with the divorce. Right. And, and I never realized, Oh, I'm going to go to school and grades and then work because I'm not good at anything else. Like I didn't have a category for that was my affirmation and validation, Hmm. but I was so desperate for it. And my, my deep pain was so bottled up and pushed down and unaddressed that that became such a fueling force into my career. And yeah, above the waterline, it looked great. And the fast track promotions and, you know, my wife and I like two income, you know, no kids, two big careers. Um, And then when I got like the big promotion and nothing changed a week later or a month later or a year later, I realized I had it all wrong. But then it took like a profound encounter with God to realize, oh, (laughs) I have not had any of God in my life. I stopped going to church. Uh, I stopped talking to him, stopped walking with him. Um, And that was a big piece that was missing. And thank you for uh, providing that. And, you know, you helped lead me on a path back to God. Right. And then God has led me on my journey. And now, you know, I, for the last six and a half years, I have focused most of my energy to dying to that identity of the workplace and the idol. Right. I've had to replace that identity with just simply being a son who's loved just because I exist. Mm. And then when I realized in counseling that, like, wait, God was actually there when I was five. Like God was in the room when I'm sitting at my Snoopy table by my window Mm. and the social worker asked me which parent I want to live with. Mm. You can't ask a child that, but it happened. And God was actually in the room. So when I felt like an orphan and I felt so alone and I felt so abandoned, you know, like, like it's the unseen realm that's eternal, right? It's not the things that we see that's temporary. And so for me to actually know that God has been in my pain, God has been in the regret, it's just really helped me come home as a son. You know, if I didn't have sonship to replace my identity with, like, I don't know what I would have done, right? Like, like you can't just pick a new idea. I'd probably fill it with something else terrible, right? And so So thank you for having that. And then, you know, when you can come home as a son and have that be the foundation and know that it's going to take, you know, lots of things to just build another layer, build another layer, build another layer until, you know, your identity as God's son becomes that foundation. Um, Then you can build on top of that. Is it the Gerald May quote that like a man in his 30s is like a city? where everything must be torn down until it can be rebuilt. Right. He's a or something like pop- that. Like he's a, he's a densely populated city where nothing can be built in its place without something else being torn down. Yeah, so it's 
like for me, my journey has been like hearing that and having the light bulb go off of that makes sense. Hmm. And then it's another thing to have God show me and have me experience it. And like, that's where the gold is and Hmm. it's giving up the reins and it's letting him lead. And, um, and I'm so thankful for what God has done. That core piece of identity and, and even how deeply committed you were, as you said, to associate that with your work. Um, it's so masculine in its fall and its redemption. I, I actually know a pretty brilliant book written on that subject. I think it's called Fire Your Boss. It's written by my friend Aaron McHugh. So you may want to read that if that part of Ryan's story is moving you. But as you're sharing, Ryan, there's a couple of things. And the first is one mentor said years ago, nature abhors a vacuum. Nature actually doesn't work with a vacuum. And so something will fill that space, right? Like you said, as you are deconstructing this false identity, at the same time, something else will fill it if you're not filling it with the real thing, if you're not opening yourself to the process of unlearning and risking receiving that identity, which is your inheritance since before the creation of the world, that you are a son. And so how would you become a son? John Scott, you shared some things that I have probably gone back to more than anything else shared on the platform, that retreat, uh, because it was extremely cutting to my soul in a really good way. It, It kind of lanced some unfinished places in me. And I'd love to risk playing it now um, to invite some other men in to hear your heart on what you shared. So let's roll that. Hey guys, um, I'm John Scott from Fort Worth. And I do remember sitting in your seat wondering, what am I doing? I didn't know really what was wrong. I couldn't put a finger on it, but something was wrong. And I had a hole that I couldn't feel in any way. So one of the last events that drove me, you know, that actually got brought me to Wild at Heart and gave me ears to hear and eyes to see was I, uh, my chimney sweep wasn't going great. And God pulled the proverbial thread on my shirt. And I won't use the words that I used in my group, but I found myself standing on a stage butt naked and they all saw my small thing. <laughs> and I had nowhere to go. Uh. And the event that led to that was on 4th of July, I went to the bottle and I medicated. And um, after a full day of drinking on the water, I had all my family there. I've got three girls at the time. Uh, one was, my youngest was about, I think she was around eight. And I thought it was a good idea to get back in the boat. Got back in the boat, driving around with my three girls. And I had a six pack by my side still, like I needed that. And as I was driving, I was throwing bottles in the air, thinking I was throwing them in the water. And I was hitting my eight-year-old. That was then. Hmm. I was scary to be around. Hmm. Scary. They were scared. So today, after this message, 
the things that I took away from it, first of all, I thought that, man, these guys are so much further ahead. I don't stand a chance to get there. And I'm telling each of you, we're not that much further ahead of you. Amen. Amen. Okay, we're just Amen. not. It is doable. And today, I can tell you this. I move slower. That's one big one. I move slower. I take care of my soul. I take that seriously. Where I was driven to efficiency at my office. Everything was about efficiency and net profit. And it got to the point where when I was making coffee, I was pissed off if I didn't get the steps right for it. So one of the things I did, just to give you a, a, a practical example, I would make the water drip into the coffee pot to move slow, and it was excruciatingly painful. I purposefully would spill coffee beans all over the counter, okay? And then make it. And it was in defiance to the enemy. I wanted to tell him to fuck off mm. <laughs> okay and it worked slowly as I started taking care of soul care and moving more slowly I found myself laughing more mm. like really laughing and what I found what was really really fun was when I'd watch movies and comedies with my family I was laughing so hard at the movies they weren't laughing at the movie they were laughing at me laughing laughing <laughs> uh. And it was so awesome because uh, they, they now go, I go, what kind of movie do you want to watch? We want to watch a comedy. We want to watch you laugh. <laughs> and the best one was my wife said, I finally had my husband back. Those are deep waters. John Scott, today, react to that. What do you hear in listening to yourself in those stories? Strong emotion towards that guy that was just hurting deep down, but had no outlet for it had learned wrong, thought he was learning right, but learned wrong. Mm. Um, as you know, listening to those words and reflecting on those times, what you would have seen back pre wild and hardened pre um, my fall was a guy that looked like he had it all together. Mm -hmm. on the surface had a business that um i made look like was going great my body looked the part i was in the best shape of my life i was working out two to three hours a day i was a member of a uh, rather prestigious country club i was in one of the top you know business groups that the secular world chases after. I had some money in the bank account. And so I looked the part and mm -hmm. I grew up learning the term fake it till you make it. Yep. And so I, I chased that with all of my 
heart. And I was harsh on myself when I didn't meet those goals. I beat myself up. No one saw that part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the only people that really got to see this part were um, my wife and my kids. And so while that guy over a period of years had all the trappings of that um, and chased, you know, just the next thing, if I can just get to the next thing, the next thing, then everything's going to be okay. I'd get there and it was okay. Now what? It was empty and it never filled that hole I had. And all this whole while, I was doing, you know, the secular chasing business. I was also climbing the ladder in the church. Mm. Mm. And um, I was a deacon at the time. And the deacon terms at that were five-year terms. And I I think it was five-year terms. And I was in my second year doing, you know, the deacon stuff. And I had learned through performing that if I perform, I am loved and I receive when I perform. And if I don't receive, it's kind of like the whack-a-mole. I get my head bashed and I blame myself and I go to shame and anger and rage. And then when that wasn't enough, that's where alcohol came in. That was then. The path along the way was real bumpy. It wasn't just like I gave up all those old tendencies overnight. And some of them I still do, but the bottom line is I'm trending up. So um, yeah, those moments of that false self that were coming through, and I didn't even have that category back then. I didn't know I was doing that has taken, and it will take continued effort to excavate and pull out so that I can continue to become more of the man that I know that God already knows me to be. Hmm. I'm not telling you that it will be easy, but I am telling you it'll be worth it. (laughs) What if there's a way to be good again? (sighs) Okay, Ryan, you have eyes on John Scott's life. And so as I'm listening to you, John Scott, I'm enjoying the fact that you guys took a huge risk in 2016 when you find yourself together you don't know each other and you're now in this story group and you risk opening your hearts to friendship to exposure uh to signing a treaty and becoming like-hearted brothers living in the same direction and when one is at war you both are at war so ryan i'm really curious As you're listening to John Scott, and you know his life from 2016 to now 2022, what have you seen? It's been one of the greatest honors of my life to walk with John Scott, and I'm so thankful for God for giving me the brother that I never had, and um, to hear him describe that old man that false self i've never seen it i don't know that man Hmm. so um john scott i mean yeah we've we've walked through a lot of hard situations a lot of hard miles um you know we've laughed we've cried 
uh, we've prayed, uh, <laughs> you know, probably hundreds of times. And um, I have felt nothing but love and kindness and compassion um, from you. And, um, and that means a lot because not many men have treated my heart that well. And so, um, you know, like to walk through it with you and just hear your confession, to hear you own it, to hear how you're trying to do it better next time, um, for God to put something on my heart to tell you and have it be what you need to hear and to see God work in us and through us for each other has been just, um, incredible. And, uh, we had, we both had a lot of pain we needed to process, Mm -hmm. right? We both had a lot of, uh, things to recalibrate and relearn. And so to get to do it through the become good soil message and the, and the invitation to the decade is very kind, right? For at first it feels insane to stop the pace and the cadence with which we're operating. But then over time, it, it takes so much time that we need the time. So it's a release for the, for the, the kindness of the decade. So, um, John Scott, I just want to say well done. And it's an honor to see what God has done in your life. And then now all those that you're able to bless that are under your care and how your motive is about others and it's not about yourself anymore. So I love you, buddy. Yeah. I love you too, brother. Thank you for that. It's been an honor. There's so much gold in this conversation. I want to pause here and allow this to be part one of a two-part podcast series with my brothers, Aaron and John Scott and Ryan. And like always in the Become Good Soil podcast, we end with a pause, with a slowing down, with a breathing and a settling in. And so we'll take 90 seconds to get curious. Holy Spirit, what are you stirring within me? What is it that you want to say? We'll linger for 90 seconds before life asks more of us somewhere else and in some other measure. And I hope that you'll join us for the next episode where we pick up part two of this conversation.